0: And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise 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 to you, Lord Christ. Uh, Lord Jesus, would you feed us this morning from your word. Lord, that, that you would calm us, that you would invite us into this place of rest, of refuge, Lord, that you might minister to us this morning, Lord. Our our souls need you. Lord, we need you this morning. Lord, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Again, good morning. Uh, Last week, we kicked off uh, a new series uh, called Silence and Solitude. And in uh, that series uh, beginning, the the first week of that series, we considered what I called uh, one of the greatest, I think, spiritual enemies or challenges to uh, followers of Jesus in this cultural moment. And we call that hurry. Hurry. Uh, Or you might call that busyness, really that it is one of the chief obstacles to us as we seek to faithfully follow Jesus, to be with him, become like him, and do what he's called us to do. And so this morning I want to continue that conversation uh, because uh, even this week, maybe as some of you tried some of the things that I put in front of you just to slow down, you felt how hard that is to do, how hard it is to take your foot off the gas so to speak, and slow down. And it is hard. It's hard in uh, this digital, fast-paced, increasingly kind of urban world in which we live because it's affecting us. The world we live in is constantly shaping us. In fact, uh, this was really brought home to me this week. I came across this infographic I wanted to share with you because I think it's both fascinating and terrifying. Uh, So a recent uh, research study shows That actually over the last 15 years, so from 2000 to 2015, our attention span as human beings has actually declined from uh, 12 seconds, it says, to about 8.25 seconds. Now, those are just kind of arbitrary numbers. However, I thought this was the terrifying part. The reality is that for a goldfish, the average attention span is estimated to be about 9 seconds. Okay? So we've dropped below goldfish, people. All right, in terms of our attention span, that's where we are. That's how much our world, our culture is shaping us, and that's a concern uh, because, in other words, what's happening is we are constantly being barraged over and over and over in our culture. We're constantly being barraged by apps and ads and devices, and all of them are working uh, to get our attention to vie for our attention, to distract us. In fact, it's well documented that social media and web browser software uh, designers are working intentionally uh, to basically uh, take our proneness to addiction and leverage it right, to their ends, namely, chiefly, to make money. That's why all these things keep rolling out, new apps every day. There's an app for that. It's because people want to make money off of that. And they're using this reality that we are prone to distraction. We're prone to busyness, prone to hurry. And so every moment of our day, there's an attempt to manipulate us, to draw us in. And the scary thing, I think, about that is it's become so normalized, right? It's become so normalized in our reality because we all carry these around everywhere we go. This is just part of our world now. It's part of the way that we think and that we function. And so we're constantly being invited into this place that's vying for our attention. And I raise this because I think this really is important, not just for our physical or emotional or mental well-being, because it is. There's study after study that's showing that, that we are becoming a more and more anxious culture. I saw one just this week. A new study came out that said the United States, as one of the most advanced nations in the world, is one of the most lonely nations in the world loneliness is on the rise um, sleeplessness fatigue all those things because we're constantly in this hurried overstimulated state of being but also it's robbing us of something very important spiritually and relationally and what that is is it's robbing us of the ability to be present it's robbing us of the ability to be present with others with ourselves And most importantly, it's robbing us of our ability to be present with God. And so it it would seem that the more and more this takes root in our lives, I don't know about you, but it actually has the effect of making me feel more and more distant from God. I don't know if you've ever connected those two realities, but I do think there's truth in that, that the more and more we have trouble being present with one another, with ourselves, with God, the more distant God becomes, the very God that we were created to be in this intimate relationship with becomes more and more distant. And so there's this paradox, even as the world, the world is becoming more and more accessible. It's right here, everything we need right here in our pocket. And yet even as that reality is taking root, the truth is that God seems further and further away. And I think Matthew 16, 26, Jesus' words there come to mind. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? And so is there a solution? Is there something that we can do? Is there a way of living, in other words, um, that that actually allows us to live um, lives that are thriving and healthy? Lives that honor Christ, even in the midst of a hurried and chaotic and fragmented world of distraction and addiction. Is there a way of living that can help us with that? And the answer is yes, there is. The good news is that Jesus invites us into and models for us a different way. He invites us into this practice of silence and solitude. And so that's what I want to talk about uh, this morning. And so I want to invite you to look at Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start our conversation about this practice of silence and solitude looking at Matthew 4, 1. If you want to grab, there's a Bible probably in front of you if you don't have one, or you can use your Bible app, no shame, pulling out your phone, even after all that. Um, I really am not anti-technology, just to make that clear. I just think I want us to be aware, right, mindful of its impact. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Um, and in that uh, verse, it says this. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All right, so again, just context. Jesus has been baptized. He's inaugurated his public ministry. It's just getting started. And what's the first thing that Jesus does, right? He doesn't launch off on kind of this major campaign. He doesn't run off and do a powerful teaching at the synagogue. No, what does he do? He goes off into the wilderness. That's how he starts his public ministry. And so it, it seems kind of strange, right, that that would be how Jesus would begin things. So he goes off into the wilderness. Now, the Greek word for wilderness um, here is eremos. Can you say that? Eremos. all right, Eremos. It's, it's a, a word that has a whole range of meaning in the Greek. Aramos uh, can mean certainly wilderness or desert, but it can also mean deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, quiet place. Or even a lonely place. And we're told, what's interesting is we're told that the Spirit led Jesus into the Aramos, right? Into this lonely place where he would be tempted by the devil. And it begs the question: why? Why would the Holy Spirit do that? And I don't mean why did Jesus face temptation? I think as you as you read through the gospels, that becomes Fairly self-evident. It makes sense that Jesus, as he's breaking into this kingdom of darkness, as he's battling and bringing the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world, that he would come up against a spiritual enemy. My question is, why in the wilderness? Why, why is it that the Spirit led Jesus for this moment into the wilderness? Why prayer and fasting and then this clash with Satan? Honestly, I always thought that Satan... Uh, came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness because that's when Jesus would as, was at his weakest. I think I've always read this passage thinking along that lines. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way as well. Okay, because it makes sense. Forty days alone, he's hungry, right? And what's the first thing? he? Oh, he's gonna, here's some food, Jesus. Why don't you just turn these stones into food? He's attacking him when, when he's weak, when he's vulnerable. That would make sense because I think in our own life experience, that's what the enemy tends to do, attack us when we're most vulnerable. But I think it's actually really interesting to think about this as the wilderness is not a place of weakness, but what if the wilderness is a place of strength? It totally changes the way you read the story, wouldn't it? If you think of this place, Ramos, not as a place of weakness, but as a place of strength. What if the Spirit, in other words, led Jesus into the wilderness? Because after 40 days of fasting and prayer... Jesus was at his strongest and prepared for this battle he had to face, these temptations. What's interesting is that this is not the only time that Jesus goes into the Aramos. It's it's all over the Gospels. And I want to look at another example. Turn to Mark chapter 1 in your Bible, verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. So this, this is in Mark's account of Jesus' life. This, this picks up Jesus' story when he returns from the wilderness after he's faced temptation. This, uh, this, is, so this is basically gives us an account of Jesus' first day on the job, so to speak. And it was a full day. Jesus did all kinds of teaching and miracles and healings, and he does all these things. And then Mark picks it up in verse 35 with the next day, and he says this. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to the Aramos probably says a solitary place in your translations. But it's that same word that we saw before in the Aramos where he prayed. So after one day, so Jesus has been out 40 days in the Aramos. Then one day later, he comes back and ministers. And then the very next day, what does he do? He goes back into the wilderness. And it's interesting, in Mark 6, if you want to turn there, in Mark 6, keep up. You just got to keep up. Mark 6, keep turning. 30 verse 30 look at that Mark 6:30 it says this it says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught and then because so many people were coming and going they did not even have a chance to eat you ever that busy You ever feel that busy you don't even have time to skip lunch i got too much to do just skip it this this is the kind of day the apostles are having with Jesus and he says to them come we're so busy we haven't even had a chance to eat he says Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Same word, aremos. Come to me to the aremos and get some rest. So they're so busy they can't even eat. And Jesus' solution to that is what? Jesus' solution to that is not, hey, we need a vacation. <laughs> let's, let's, find a, let's book a nice resort on the Sea of Galilee and just kind of all get away for a long weekend. That's not, that's not where he goes. He doesn't say, hey, we need a, a guy's night out. We're going to hit the beer garden over here off Shepherd and just kind of have some guy's time, just relax. No, he, he pushes them in a very specific direction. He says, here's what you need. Here is what we need. We need time alone. You need time alone with me, he says, in a quiet place. Place. Again, in a quiet place, the eremos It's that same word. It keeps coming up again and again. Why? So you can get rest, Jesus says. But then look what happens. They take off and, and seek of a solitary place to be with Jesus in the quiet. Look what happens, Mark six thirty-two. So they went away by themselves in a boat to the eremos to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. So they chased Jesus down and his disciples down. And they were there waiting for them in that solitary place by the time they got there. You ever have that experience? You just want some time down? You want some time away? And... and, you're, you're almost there, and something else comes up, something that you didn't schedule, a kid gets sick, some kind of crisis at work, and all of a sudden, that thing that you so craved and so longed for, just a little downtime, is gone. That happened to Jesus, too. That's exactly what happens here. And so it, what is amazing to me, just a side note here, is how Jesus responds. This is where you get the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, so just put that in context He said, we need time alone. We need time to rest. And then here comes 5,000 folks who are hungry. And Jesus' response is not, hey, I'll come back to you because we're going to go off to the Aramos. We'll be back in a little while. His his response is what? It says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he feeds them in this miraculous feeding of the 5,000. But then on the other side of that, Jesus doesn't give up. Jesus doesn't give up on his goal. Look, end of Mark 6, verse 45. After he'd fed the 5,000, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, so just just envision what's happened here. So Jesus and the disciples, he said, get in the boat and go, right? And then he turned to the crowd on the land and he said, dismissed. (laughs) Now who's left? Jesus And he's alone, right? And that's exactly what it tells us. It says, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. Jesus withdrew to these lonely places. It was a, there was an ebb and flow of this to his life. I mean, even that night, he must have been exhausted, right? And yet, instead of sleeping, he goes to the mountainside because he wants to be alone with his father. It was so important to him. And again, Jesus did this a lot. Luke 5, 15, 16 says this. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. The more busy that Jesus seems to get in the Gospels, it's saying, basically, the more he would withdraw to these lonely places. Isn't that interesting? When I get busy, I get busier, that's one of the first things that goes, silence and solitude. That gets cut. I got too much to do. And Jesus is almost the opposite. He seems to think, I got to have more. And so here's the point of all that, just looking at that. I wanted us to see that for Jesus, solitude is a regular, essential practice. It is a regular, essential practice of being quiet and pulling away to these lonely places. And that's important because there are all kinds of religions and philosophies in the world and theories and ideas about practicing silence and solitude. Uh, But what I want us to realize is this is a practice of silence and solitude based on the practice of Jesus. And it's as unique as Jesus himself is. And if we want to experience the life that Jesus offers us, we need to take up his way of living. And faithful followers of Jesus down through history, this has been lost to us these days in our hurried culture. But faithful followers of Jesus have done this down through history of, of this practice of silence and solitude. And so I want us to look at this practice uh, a little bit this morning. Uh, First, what is the practice of silence and solitude? How how can we define it? Uh, I love James Bryant Smith's simple definition. He says this. He says, silence and solitude is intentionally getting alone with God in the quiet. It's intentionally being with God, getting alone with God in the quiet. Uh, Silence and solitude are not the same thing right? But they go together. So we kind of talk about them together. Uh, John Mark Comer, um, on whom I'm basing a lot of this teaching, he, he talks about two kinds of silence. And I think this is really helpful. He talks about external silence and internal silence. So external silence, he says, comes by eliminating as much noise as possible. Just being quiet in a quiet place. It's a way of catching your spiritual breath, you might think. Um, now, for some of us, I would be willing to bet good money that for some of us, the only time we are really quiet, external quiet, is that few moments right before we fall asleep. <laughs> Every night as we fall asleep, that might be the only time in our entire day where we have intentional quiet, no other noise going on. We, we, we are addicted to a soundtrack for our life. <laughs> we love having noise. We've come to expect it. we're almost comfortable, more comfortable with noise than we are with silence. We always have music going on in the background, a podcast, something on the TV. Even if we're not watching it, just to have something going on in the background. We are a people who live in constant noise. And so the question is, what if we just turned it off? That's external silence, just turning it off, allowing for some silence. But then there's also internal silence. This is the harder work of shutting down all the thoughts right, everything that's going on in your mind right now, everything you're thinking about even right now as I'm talking, that's just running through your head, the things you have to do, the to-do list, the schedule, the things that you forgot to do, where you're going to go for lunch, uh, that question you got about the kids' schedule this week, all those kinds of things, you know, that just pop in your head constantly, turning that off and quieting our mind before the Lord. That's, that's a totally different thing than external silence, internal silence. So silence is both external and internal, and it can be healing, and it can be restorative all by itself. Just silence. But then there's also solitude. So a couple thoughts about solitude. First, solitude is not the same thing as being isolated or lonely. Solitude, uh, Richard Foster says, uh, he describes it this way. He says the difference. He says, loneliness is a feeling of inner emptiness, whereas solitude is a feeling of inner fulfillment. See, one's empty and one is fulfilled. So loneliness is something I think that that we might feel abandoned into, you could say. But solitude is, is being alone with God and it's something we choose to enter into. Does that make sense, the difference? So when we choose to enter into solitude, it helps us to slow down, like we talked about last week. It helps us to slow down, to reset, recalibrate, refocus our attention on God amidst all the clutter and the chaos of our lives. I think it's important. It's important for me, solitude as a discipline, and and I'm still learning how to do this in my own life because I think we are prone to forget that we live in a world that's in rebellion against God. We, we're, we're following Jesus. We have the joy and the blessing of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we, ex- we experience the kingdom. We pray the kingdom will come. But we live in a world that's in rebellion. We live in a fallen world. And the reality is, is that we can easily get caught in kind of the undertow of that world, this undertow of human brokenness and sinfulness. It's constant, and it can be subtle. So unless, in other words, we step out of that undertow, on a regular basis, it's, it's going to carry us along. It's going to shape us in ways we don't even realize. So we need to, to step out. And so solitude is a way to do that. It's an intentional way to step out. First Peter 2.11 says that uh, we are to abstain. We are to step out right, of the desires of the flesh, of the ways of this world, Peter says. Why? Because it batters against our soul. It makes war against our Soul, and so solitude invites us to intentionally step out of that flow and be with the Lord. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing about solitude, I just want to say, is that solitude is risky. Solitude is risky. Uh, listen to this quote from Dallas Willard. This this quote has kind of been haunting me all week. <laughs> so you're welcome in advance. Um, he wrote this. He said, "In solitude, we confront our own soul." with its obscure forces and conflicts. Solitude is a terrible trial, for it serves to crack open and burst apart the shell of our superficial securities. It opens out to us the unknown abyss that we all carry within us and discloses to us that these abysses are haunted. That's true, isn't it? In solitude, we have to come face to face with the thoughts and the emotions that we've actually been trying to distract ourselves from all throughout our day. That's what happens in solitude. We become aware of the good and the bad and the ugly within our own hearts. Our godly desires and our ungodly desires. And so in silence and solitude, it's risky because our fears lurk there, our insecurities lurk there, our wounds, our idolatry, our fantasies, and all that can be overwhelming. And so to to enter into solitude is a scary proposition, and most of us just avoid it. We try to avoid it because we get a sniff of that, and we don't want anything to do with that. But this is what Willard goes on to say, and this is is the, the important piece. He says... We can only survive solitude, therefore, if we cling to Christ. We can only survive solitude if we cling to Christ. And I would add to that if we remember that Christ clings to us. So you remember, it's intentionally entering into time with God. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God, that I am here, that I am with you in this place that can be so overwhelming, so terrifying. In solitude, we're alone with God. We're invited to abide, as Jesus says. God is there with us. He's, He's creating a safe place for us to be exposed before him. And there we can find salvation. We just read this in Psalm 62. We can find salvation. We can find forgiveness. We find healing and hope. And that's what we long for. That's what we're created for, to be with God. And so that's why we need solitude. I think many of us are starved for that. We are starved for solitude. We feel that distance from God in our lives because we don't know how to practice this in our lives, this silence and solitude. Instead, we, we try to cope in our lives, with this unfulfilled longing for that, to be with God, to be in intimacy with God. And so we try to cope and we come up with all kinds of even spiritual coping mechanisms, right? We, we live from Sunday to Sunday. I know I've done that. We live from sermon to sermon. We, we depend on this podcast or, or we depend on that devotional or that Bible study just to, to get us to the next one, you know, just to, to kind of live off other people's spirituality so to speak, because we talk about God, and we think about God, but we're so rarely willing to just be with God. That's what God is inviting us into. That's what solitude and silence invite us into. And so if we don't practice solitude and silence in our lives, we won't just feel distant. From, from God, I think we end up feeling distant from ourselves. We don't understand ourselves. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are in Christ. We don't have a godly perspective on our time, our priorities, our needs. We don't choose the things that would give us life, like prayer and worship and communion. Instead, we turn to addictions, distractions, things like even exercise or Netflix, porn, alcohol, social media, on and on and on the list goes because we just we just were too spiritually worn down, right, to deal with anything more. And so we just anesthetize ourselves. Henry Nowen, he put a really fine point to it. He said, "Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live the spiritual life." We do not take spiritual life seriously, he says, if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen to God. Let me just read that last part again. We don't take the spiritual life seriously if we're not willing to be with God and listen to God. That sounds harsh, and that's not intended to induce guilt. It's just a reality, and it makes sense. If we think of it. if we're in a relationship with someone, right? Being with them is essential. Isn't it? I mean, if I was, uh, you know, to take my marriage with Langley, for example. If, if Langley and I were married, but uh, I only ever talked about her with other people. I only ever spent time with her around other people. We were never just alone, just the two of us. I never really listened to her. I never really was intimate with her. How long do you think our marriage would last? And even if it lasted, what kind of marriage would it be? What kind of relationship would it be? And, and that's, that's what Noun's getting at here. There is no relationship, really, if we're not willing to be with God. And so I, I think it's a question that I just—I want to leave with all of us this morning. I think it's a question that we need to ask. How seriously are we taking our life with Jesus? Seriously enough to be with him. Seriously enough to listen to him. This week, I want to challenge All of us just to try this, to try some silence and solitude in your life, to try to be with Jesus and experience what God wants to do in that place of silence and solitude. Not doing Bible study. This is not for planning. This is not your favorite devotional. You might read a few lines of a psalm or something just to help you enter into that space, but I'm talking about being still and quiet before the Lord. Um, And I Real quick, I want to give you just a few quick guidelines. So I'm going to run through these real quick as you enter into this. And then we're going to post some stuff on ApostlesHouston.org uh, on the sermon series page that will help you do, try this practice this week. But let me, let me give a couple of quick guidelines. First, know your personality, season, and stage. As you enter into this, know your personality, season, and stage. If you're introverted, this is going to feel very different than if you're extroverted. If you're introverted and I say, hey, you need to take some more time just to be alone, you're like, yes, awesome. If you're extroverted, you're like, what a waste of time, really. Uh, so it, just know yourself. Know your personality. It's going to feel and look different depending on your personality. Know your season of life, right? It's not going to look the same if you are uh, Uh, A mom or a dad who's uh, got three kids under 10 at home, uh, as it will if you're single and in grad school, right? It's not going to look the same for you to take up this practice of silence and solitude. It's going to look different. Again, it will depend on your stage of discipleship. You may be facing something really hard in your life right now, really difficult. You may be going through a season where you're just in need of some deep inner healing, maybe On the other hand, you're doing great. Maybe you're experiencing just a whole new season of ministry, and there's excitement with friends or with family. And again, the point here is that no matter who you are, no matter where you are in life, what stage you are in your discipleship, you need time alone with God. But that's going to look different. It's going to look different for each of us. And it means that your life with Jesus shouldn't be compared or try to copy what someone else is doing. Right? We can look to others for some guidance, but this is not about doing what someone else does. It's not about checking a box. Figure out what helps you to be with God. That's the goal. All right, second, don't quit before you start. Some of you are already saying, this is not for me. I don't do this. I'm not comfortable with this. Even if I tried it, I just, I'm going to fail. I just can't, I can't be still and be quiet. Um, I'm too busy That was really good. That was like almost on cue. Like, I just got too much going on. I'm just like constantly. So, so all of us have that feeling, right? It's just I can't make this work. I can't make this work. Let me just say, if 10 minutes, just don't quit before you start. Take 10 minutes twice this week. 10 minutes twice this week. And just be still and quiet. Just start there. Don't have crazy, unrealistic expectations about what this is going to look like. We're trying to create a habit, right, over time of spending time quiet and with the lord this is about your relationship it's not about results so show yourself a lot of grace so don't quit before you start three this is about practice not performance come at this with the right heart posture okay this is this is a heart posture of seeking to be with jesus it's not a legalistic approach to the christian life don't start comparing to one another. So don't show up at your life group and you're like, oh, uh, did you, did you, did you, did you do the silence and solitude thing this week? You know how how'd that go? What, oh, oh, you did it on Sunday. Oh, you did it on ten minutes for Sunday. Oh, well, that's great. I'm not even sure Sunday really counts because it's like Sunday, and it was only ten minutes. I did three hours uh, personally every day since then. I must be super spiritual. And you know, you're cute. Uh, so don't don't do that. Don't don't try to impress. This isn't about impress. Nobody's gonna be impressed with how, how you spend time with God. This is about you and the Lord being together. So just don't do that. And please don't try and impress God. This is God's not going to be impressed with this. This is about being with him, right? Not impressing. So it's about a heart attitude. The last thing I'll say is uh, take a short and a long approach to this. Short uh, times of silence and solitude on a regular basis. A few moments in the morning. A few moments before you go to bed. Uh, just in the elevator. If you're you're there by yourself, just... I've given you that simple like kind of breath prayer. Lord, you're here with me. Help me to be here with you. Just, just kind of be aware of God's presence. Just be still and quiet, even for a few seconds. So kind of take this short times approach to it. And then also look for long times of silence. If you've never done this, I encourage you to try this. And there's going to be more about this later in the series, about maybe taking like a, a retreat by yourself, getting away, and, and just being quiet. You know, there's some great um, Catholic monastic communities and retreat areas here in Houston. There's one right down here off I-10. And you can schedule a time to go and spend the night there. And you just go, and, and they'll, they'll provide a meal. They give you a little room. It's got no distractions, no TVs. You, you check your phone in. You just, you and maybe your Bible and a journal. And you're just quiet. You can rest. You can go on a walk. And you take up this practice of silence and solitude. So do it for short times and try to schedule for long times. So here's, here's the bottom line. If Jesus, right, if Jesus needed silence and solitude, how much more do we need to take up this practice of silence and solitude? And so I want to encourage you to try this, to try to take up this practice of silence and solitude so that you can know the hope and the freedom and the peace in the midst of a busy and chaotic life that only Jesus can bring. But it's going to take us slowing down it's going to take some practices like this for us to do this let me pray lord jesus we just ask that you would teach us what it means to be with you or that you would teach us what it means to to take up this practice of silence and solitude and lord i pray especially just for our hearts and our minds there's places of fear about being alone and still before you because of all the things that may be lurking within us that we're just afraid to deal with and i just pray your protection holy spirit i pray that you would meet us in that place that you would free us that we know your presence and even those places in our life that we're we're afraid to go or that we would allow you to to bring healing and forgiveness and wholeness and you might do it through this practice of silence and solitude. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.